0: As I said, uh, we do begin uh, Advent this morning, and I have a quick short video that we're hopefully going to play, if it plays. Um, Bella, would you give it a try? Uh, This intros the whole Advent season, so if you would, Bella. Advent is upon us, and this morning, we light the first candle of Advent, and it's lit down here, Uh, it's the first Sunday of Advent, and the key word here for the first Sunday is the prophecy candle, prophecy candle, or the hope candle. We can take comfort and be glad, for once again, the long-awaited One, with a capital O, stands at our door. Church, let us prepare our hearts and homes to greet our Lord Emmanuel, God with us. The first candle was lit this morning and it reminds us of the prophets who expected that coming, predicted the coming of the Messiah who would bring peace, love and salvation to the entire world. We light candles at Advent, for one, Jesus said that I am the light of the world. There's a lot of darkness in the world, it's full of darkness, the word says. And if this room were completely blacked out and dark, if we had just that candle lit, that light would pierce through that darkness I mean, it would be a mighty light, that one candle in the complete darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John chapter 8. And if the church of Jesus Christ should ever really be grateful for the gift of Advent to the church, it's today. It's today's world. If there's ever in a time in history when we should be really, really grateful and thankful for the gift of Advent, it's the times we're living in right now. If there ever was a perfect time to joyfully look back at the coming of Jesus Christ in such a way that it makes us anticipate that he'll come again. That's what the video said, right? We Advent means coming, and it means the coming of Jesus at His birth. Now tonight we're going to get together, and I hope you'll come back tonight at six for the hanging of the greens. As Kathy said, it's informal. It's not a service where it's. It, we're just going to come, and I always say we're kind of get the church in its Christmas clothes, right? So we got a good start, and, and we did put up some things around, but it's very incomplete. And the wreath is here, the Advent wreath, but there's no cloth, there's no tablecloth, there's not even a baby or anything in the manger or anything, and it's very incomplete. So I hope you'll come back tonight. As we get together, there must be 20, 25, 30 totes full of all of the greenery that we put around the church. That's part of the Advent wreath, the greenery. Anybody ever build an Advent wreath? Anybody? Like at home, do their own. Well, part of it is you get the greenery, and it represents the evergreen. So that evergreen represents Jesus' eternal life. That He's here, He's ever-present, He's not going anywhere, and He will return. It's that evergreen. And we're just going to hang some stuff at the church, and I hope you come back for tonight for some hot cocoa and some cookies. But more importantly, to celebrate this Advent season as we kick it off tonight, and this morning, it was very incomplete, and I did that on purpose, because I want you all to come back tonight, and, and sort of fill some of those roles, and put, put the greenery around, and the lights, and the trees, and the, and the celebration that's about to begin. It's sort of this anticipation of Advent, and, and, and it's, it's this time we can look back, and if we've ever needed that, it's, it's in the days that we're living right now. If we ever needed just a break for a second to remember, it's It's today. Even at Thanksgiving, right, for a lot of families and uh, even at Thanksgiving, since the pandemic started and last year and this year, a lot of people I talk to, how was your Thanksgiving? They say, oh, you know, it was, it was a little different. Some people come and some people don't. Some people won't fly and some people do. And, and it's just difficult to sort of get around these days and to get together and to share in things like a big meal like Thanksgiving. People say, yeah, it was It was different. And it's less kind of the, the feast and celebratory thing that it always has been, right? sort of different now. If you were, a, a few of you appreciate that difference, I know, and, and don't raise your hand or point at anybody, but you know a few of you are glad that so-and-so couldn't really, or wasn't able to or didn't feel like coming to the house. right? Come on, I know there are some of you who like that, crazy uncle that you know you're kind of glad that he kind of couldn't come this year. But by and large, you know, we just kind of feel like there's, there's just some, some loss that's been happening, right? Some things aren't the same, and there's just been these little losses. Another thing that was disappointing, and, and what I want to do today, in light of all of that, is kind of turn our attention to what I think has been the backbone of the Christian church, really since her beginning. And that is our unwavering hope. Built upon what cannot be shaken, regardless of the season that life is dealing with us, dealing us out right now. However, life is playing out for you right now, what I'm saying is that we, as Christians, as Jesus followers, have this unwavering hope that cannot be shaken. At least we should. At least we should. And if there's ever a time to remember, joyfully remember that baby in the manger, and all that that means, it's in this season where where it's just been for many of us. It's been, you know, just little loss after little loss after little loss. You know, we can't do this. We used to do that. So and so can't come, and this it's just been little loss after little loss. And some of us in this room, it's been sort of epic heart-wrenching, soul-wrenching, destroying type losses. Not the little losses, but we've actually had big, heart-wrenching, epic-sized loss. And so what a gift of God's grace that here, as the weather turns, right? Our first kind of get into the snow and all of that, the weather turns, and and by 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, the weather will turn to something else. This is Western PA, folks, in early December will probably it'll probably be 80 degrees one day somewhere in December and and 3 3 inches of snow but just as it turns you know we're we're like we're like you know what let's let's remember let's take some time remember some constants and and talk about the hope that lies within us as Jesus followers at least it should Here's why we'll talk about this hope this morning. Because historically, being the first week of Advent, it's a good thing to talk about hope to kick off Advent. Hope is that thing that will bolster us and keep us secure. In fact, I'll say it this way, and sometimes I say it in another context, like in funerals or something like that. But it's right and good for us to consider where you place your hope is imperative to your joy this morning. Does anybody know anyone. And again don't point an elbow anybody. That have just lost their joy. Just seems like something is just. Something has just. Gotten out. It's just they've lost their joy. Where you place your hope. Is imperative. To your joy this morning. Where you're saying. I'm putting my hope in This. Or my life is going to be better because of this. I'm betting my life on this. I'm betting my eternity on this. Where we place our hope is directly tied to our joy. Now, I'm not look at me, church. I'm not talking about happiness this morning. I'm not talking about happiness. Maybe nobody will ever say this to you. and Maybe no, no preacher has ever said this to you. Maybe as long as you've lived. But... I could care less this morning about your happiness. And let me put that in, constant, in context. But I do want joy for you. I want joy for you. Because I think that happiness just sort of is, you know, kind of weak in, in and of itself. Because it's fleeting. Happiness is fleeting. It's kind of, a, kind of a sad little version of what God really wants us to have in joy. Think about how fragile and fleeting happiness is. You know, any, anybody ever just ecstatically woke up in the morning one morning? How many morning people do I have, right? They're not even here this morning. They're out doing fun stuff. No. <laughs> Come on. But how many just wake up in the morning sometimes? You know what? I just feel like this is going to be a good day. I mean, you woke up on the right side of the bed. You know, the birds are chirping. The coffee's brewing. And you're like, you know, it's going to be a good day. And your happiness, you're just happy. But how fleeting can that be that, you know, in just a phone call can change that whole day? One stepped-on Lego can change the entire day. And now you're, you're frustrated. You're angry. You're perturbed. That happiness was so fleeting. I'm not talking about happiness this morning. Where you put your hope is imperative to your joy. So why would I want happiness? I want joy for you. Why would you want sort of a, a fleeting oh, giggle when you can have deep-rooted joy that really can't be shaken, can't be affected by life's circumstances? Like if you read your Bible, and this is a long intro, so put up with me for a little bit. If you read your Bible, and you should read your Bible, amen? Right? come at me with all this stuff and people come at me with all these issues and problems and my first question most of the time is first of all have you prayed? Second of all how's your Bible reading going? Oh well yeah okay let's start there but read your Bible and you can see all kinds of joy all over the place. The book of Acts when the apostles are arrested some of you are familiar with this story when the apostles get arrested they're beaten and they leave rejoicing, the word says. They're arrested and beaten, and when all that's over, they leave rejoicing. What, what kind of psychopath rejoices after getting beaten with like rods and having the skin basically whipped off of your back? What kind of. Those who have joy. That's who? Joy. Those who haven't kind of pushed all their chips in and said, oh, I'm going to be happy. I just need to be happy. Do whatever the world will tell you. Do whatever makes you. But I'm going to live as a Jesus follower in the confidence that comes in knowing what is ultimately true. And so this morning I want to talk about hope because I love you. And I think our hope has been assaulted over and over and over again these past couple years. Our hope has been assaulted. And I don't want you, as Jesus followers, and me, to lose hope. I want you to be filled with hope. Because our witness to the world around us is also tied to the joy that's found in us. This joy, not white-knuckled mustering, but in our hope. We are, we are to be a hopeful people. I thought about it last night and this is a bad illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway because y'all are looking at me funny. We're, we're, we're not Eeyore, we're Tigger. Anybody? Thank you. My goodness, thank you. I got one who gets it. It's a, bad, it's a bad illustration because we're not just you know, we're not just like that. But we're not like, oh, it's going to rain today. We are filled with an inexpressible joy that we just can't contain. Theologian Tim Keller. Are you tracking with me this morning? You got this whole joy and hope how they go together. Let's, let's go with this. There's a theologian and author named Tim Keller. He made the argument that uh, most of the things that we call idols in our lives. Most of the things that we say that, you know, I, I struggle with this or I have a problem with this. Are, are actually surface idols. They're not what's really going on in the deep places of our heart. And so what he said is we kind of have this surface idol versus source idol problem. The surface idols are the things that we deal with. You know, I have a problem with this, or I, I, I have a, I bow down to this idol, or I bow down. The idols are the surface idols. But that's not what's really going on. You might say, you know, oh, well, I got it. I have, pastor, I have, a, I have an anger issue. Surface. I have a lust issue. Surface. Or, I've, you know, I've got this, or I have relationship strife, or I have whatever it is, this surface idol. But Keller would argue that, no, these are, these are just surface idols. We need to, there's something deeper going on inside of you, and that's what needs to be addressed, Keller would say. And I agree. These are called source idols, he says. Is it okay if we teach a little bit on Advent Sunday? <laughs> he says, there's, there's, there's four source idols. And what I want to do before we dive into Hebrews 10, you can stick a marker there, you can kind of get your apps open, ready to go. Before we dive into Hebrews, Hebrews 10 in our passage today, uh, I want us to go, hey, do we have an issue with one of these four source idols? Do, is this something that's going on? Because I'll, I'll link it all together with the hope that lies within us at the end. Follow with, just hang in there with me. But maybe we put a little bit too much hope into these four things. Let's talk about them. The first one, and we're talking about source idols versus surface idols, right? These are things that source, it's down in us. Uh, And that first one, what do we put our hope in? A lot of us put our hope in the source idol of comfort, right? One of the first ones is comfort. And there's an issue here, and here's why. We live in a world full of comfort and convenience. Right? we love It's just comfort and convenience. Now, how many know that that's been shaken up in the last year to two years? It's been shaken up. We can't get things like we used to be able to get them. It's not really convenient anymore. There's not a whole lot of comfort now knowing that, well, we just go to the store, we expect something to be there. Face it, we don't live, we live very much in suburbia, right? We live in kind of the suburbia USA, small town, sort of. We're not in New York or L.A. or Philadelphia, but we, 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 li- we live in suburbia. And the whole reason the suburbs existed in the first place or outlying areas existed is for comfort, period. <laughs> you get a little space. You get a little plot of land. You get a little, little elbow room. We got some comfort. Maybe you get a drive through. And then you get make everything accessible, and it gets easy and quick. Let us make it easy for you, right in the comfort. And some of us have this real comfort, and we're, you know what? We're just comfortable, and we're submerged in the air of comfort and comfort, wooing us to to what we want, and we want it now, right? And we're so it's so easy to get. You go, man. I just want what I want when I want it. And why does it have to be as hard as it is now? Why does it have to be that hard? I just want to go and click or go and buy and go and see and go. I just want to do what I want to do. Some of us not all about material things, right? Sometimes you want to go to a place. You want to visit a place. Oh, well, we don't have the the staff or we don't have the the employees or we we can't open the doors. You can't go into the museum. You can't go to the park. You can't go to other places. So it's just we lived in a world, we live in a world where we expect comfort. And I want what I want. And sort of this, this call toward comfort and ease. You know, why, why not when we can just, you know, why, why, do we even have to, why do we even have to drive through? We can just punch in our app. Right? How comfortable and easy is that? Convenient? We can punch into an app, pull in the parking lot, and someone brings it out to us. You don't have to wait in the six-hour Chick-fil-A line anymore. You can punch it in your app and only wait an hour and a half at three in the afternoon at lunch. What? Anybody else waiting in those long lines at three in the afternoon at your, your favorite fast food? Uh, somebody needs to explain this mystery to me, by the way. Um, you know, I'm going to do an exegetical paper one day on how Chick-fil-A pulls all this off at three in the afternoon with all those lines and everything. But these thousands of people eating lunch at three in the afternoon, which I am one, so I can't really... But who are these people? They want. They live in comfort, right? They just. You know what? I'm going to pull in the line, and I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to go through, and I I need comfort and convenience. And it kind of woos us into this life should be easy mentality, and we want life to be easy. I just want them to things to go like I want them to go, and I want. I, I just want things when I want them. I mean, I just do. Why? I'm a grown man. I want things when I want it. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Some of that has been robbed from us. Some of that has been, we're, we're kind of not able to do right now. But I want, to enjoy, I want to enjoy things when I want to enjoy them. So a lot of us put our hope in this comfort that, you know what? If it's comfortable and convenient, we'll do it. But if it takes us outside of our comfort zone, or if it takes us makes us a little uncomfortable, or maybe it's not so convenient... We ah, you know what, God, it doesn't have to be that hard. I'm comfortable. God will say, you know what? You know, so and so's in the hospital, and, and they he puts that person on your heart. And you're at home watching the game, or you're, you know, you're out baking cookies, you're doing whatever. Not very convenient or comfortable for me to God. I know you talk, I know God, but I co- sort of have this source idol inside of me that says. It's just not what I do. Don't you know I have people coming over tonight comfortable, convenient? God, this isn't very convenient. So we have this sort of comfort that we're not willing or able. We put our hope in our comfort. And now when the stress... Here's the key phrase. When the stress and demands of life in a fallen world crash into the person that's put all of their hope in comfort, now they're uncomfortable, which is a part of being human, right? Are you with me this morning, It's being uncomfortable? If you want to live the comfortable life, I'll just ask you, how's that going? How's life been for you? I mean, maybe if you get just a little bit, you're not, you're not always going to live in comfort. Not the world, it's not the world you were born into. We were born into a world at war. And I'm speaking of spiritual things here. When you put all your hope in the comfort and the demands of stress of the fallen world start to hit you, you start lashing out at people and it's usually the people that you love the most. Can you remember a time, and I alluded to this earlier, that can you remember a time, some of you have been walking on the earth for a little while, that people are so apt to lash out People are so irritable and ready to go at a moment's notice. Can you remember a time in history? I'm going to talk about you folks who are way older than me, 50 and above. Been walking around this world for a long time. I'm not 50 for another month, folks. But can you remember a time when people were just, you know why? Because they were so used to that comfort. So used to the comfort. Now they're standing in line and that foot starts tapping way sooner than it started tapping a little while back. They're so used to that comfort and convenience and when they can't get it, man, it's almost it's almost they want to get what it's impossible right now to get what you want when you want it. But people are just lashing out at people that they love. They want their comfort. And most of the time it's the people that they love the most. I want comfort, I'm not getting it. Obviously, you know, obviously that's your spouse's fault, right? Or obviously that's your fault, kids. Or obviously it's your fault, workplace friends. Or we want comfort, so we start to lash out at those who are around us. And what's wild about when comfort is your place that you put your hope, it creates an inordinate inordinate amount of stress. So you want your comfort, and you're really stressed out because you're not getting your comfort. Do you see that paradox? Do you see what's going on there? So if you put your, comfort, your hope in comfort, you can kiss your joy goodbye. And maybe you're like, okay, pastor, you know that's really not my struggle. I don't, I don't have that comfort struggle. It's not my thing. Um, calm down, we'll get to you, I'm sure. There are four of these. Uh, the next one, maybe you put your hope in is approval. Maybe you need to be approved. Maybe if you do, and, and this, is, this is the next one that I'll spend just a little time on because I think it's a dangerous point where we can get in our life when we seek and put our hope in approval. I can live my, my life in such a way that people like me. I need to be liked. And I'm not even going to go to social media. You all know that, have known me for more than five minutes how I feel about people putting their hope in the, the likes. But you know what? If I do enough, maybe they'll even love me. Or maybe they'll approve of me. So we want affirmation. And, and that's where we place our hope is in approval. People are going to like who I am. I'm putting my hope in that. When people come across me, they're like, hey, I like that person. I like them. I think of all of these, this is the one that strikes me as really painful, right? So, like you really enslave yourself when you put all of your hope in this one, in approval. You really enslave yourself. And, And how ironic is, sometimes you'll enslave yourself to people you don't really know or even like. But when you're seeking the approval of men as your hope, the stress and demands of a fallen world slam into the person that's putting their hope in the approval of others, and they're constantly anxious and feel like they don't measure up. You all have Hebrews 10 still? Hang on, we're getting there. We're getting there, I promise. So here's what happens when you seek the approval of men, if it's where you put your hope. They're going to like me, they're going to approve of me, they might even love me. The thing they're going to give me that maybe, you know... Mom and Dad never gave you, or or whatever ends up happening in life, you're like, I need the approval, and then you're always like, did I did I not do enough? How many live in that world? Am I not? Did I not do enough? Did is that okay? Did I do enough? Are you okay? Do you like me? You approve of me? Do you approve of me? Do you approve of what I'm doing? Did I do enough? But the problem is, then you're always like, did I do too much? Have I done enough? But yet, oh, now did I do too much? I'm seeking that approval. I need that approval. And you're thinking, oh, just please like me. I put my hope in that. Please like me. We don't seek approval from others as Jesus followers. You'll constantly be in your head Did I just blow it? Did I do enough? And you begin to enslave yourselves. Enslaving yourselves to the opinions of others. And what a terrible life to live. You're constantly nervous that you might have offended someone or you might not have done enough for this person or you know, that person or come across in a different way. And you actually enslave yourself and you can never feel that you have the approval from those people at all. And the next one is control. We put our hope in, in our ability to control the world around us. Confession time here, church. Um, I, I, I'm a comfort control guy. If, there, if there's a line here, I feel really comfortable when I'm, I'm, in, I'm in control. I'm not a control addict or freak, but I like to sort of be in control. I like to sort of things to go my way. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that kind of feels that way, but you know, if you have an agenda when you go on vacation, you are that person. Few people But you like it and it's not a necessarily a terrible controlling kind of thing. you just like things to be in a certain way, going a certain way, and this is the way we like it. The problem is, you feel like you're in control, but control is an illusion. We want, just want that certainty, right? We, don't, we want to know that if we do this, this, and this, we're in control of that, then this happens, and we want that certainty. And I get that, I understand that. But when the stress and demands of a life in a fallen world slam into someone who puts all their hope in this control... They constantly are worried, constantly looking back. Did I cross my T's? Did I dot my eyes? Why is this happening? And they get this anxiety, and they lose control. If they put all their hope in control, and the last one here. I'll move quickly. Is power. The last source idol is power. And many of you are like, ah, oh, no, I don't, I don't need power. I, I just don't want, not really power, but. But success, and you just want to kind of be okay, and you want, to, you want to win in life, and you want to have that feeling that, you know, I, I can't, can't lose. And somehow, a reflection on me is, you know, like if if I don't win, if I don't succeed at something, if I start something and don't finish it, that somehow, you know, there's this humiliation you don't want to show your face and you want you the power that you had is gone and that's that's a problem so when we put all our hope in uh, i want to succeed i don't want to fail i want to be the best at everything we want to put all our hope there now when the stress and demands of life in the fallen world slam into someone who's put their hope in power it leaves that person feeling angry And then they feel humiliated when they inevitably fail. Because, you know, everyone inevitably fails at something. How many of you that are married in the room have ever failed at something? You know, you said something you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have done. This is true of all of us. So, first I guess I should have asked anybody a liar in the room. (laughs) And then followed up, but... We fail at things all the time. And if we put all of our hope in having the power to succeed and go and not fail. And, and go forward no matter what. And I started this thing. I'm going to finish this thing. And then it doesn't happen. We start to get that feeling of failure. I'm going to jump ahead and I'll circle back. One of the things I love about Christianity Is it just creates this space for us to go, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I am weak. I'm not that strong. I do fail. I'm not so sure here. I'm not as confident here. See, Christianity creates that space for me to say, I am weak, but I know somebody who's not. Yeah, I can't, but I know someone who can. Christianity creates the space that says, you know, it's our faith alone that keeps us from banging our chest and like you've done something and you're the one that succeeded. You're not. You're the one that's been saved despite your weaknesses. But Christianity does create the capacity for us to go, you know what? We are weak. We are weak. And I don't ever do anything like this to stir up anxiety in you. Or, but I do think it's really helpful of how we understand how we really are far weaker than we think we are. There's not one person in this room, and I'm talking about the, the frailty and the, and the, like I said, the life living in this fallen world. There's not one of us in this room that couldn't be put on the floor sobbing this morning just because your phone rang this morning. And you got some news that you weren't expecting. Literally no one in this room, no matter how much yoga, spinach, and blueberries you do, couldn't go to the doctor and get some terrifying news next week. It's just true. And some of you know that that's more true than others. And the younger you are, you probably don't believe me, and the older you are, y'all know I'm telling the truth. We are far more weak and frail than we think we are. But we want to project strength. When power is where we have placed our hope. But ultimately all of these four things. If you place your hope in these things. Your joy will be affected. If what you need is comfort. Your joy is going to be affected. If what you need is approval. Your joy will be affected. And, and the same with control and power. Your joy will be affected. But. What God has for you this morning is not false source idols to put your hope in. God has for you this morning an unwavering joy, the kind of backbone that stands firm regardless of the weather. So where do we place our hope? And I know you all want me to say Jesus so we can wrap this sermon up, right? I know you all, I see you looking at me. But I want to give you a little more than that in regards to something to grab onto this morning. So let's take a look at our passage. You said, man, that was your intro, bro? How long is this sermon going to be? Stay with me. Hebrews chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to read it. Everybody got Hebrews? You're like, yeah, I've had it for 40 minutes. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through that is through His flesh, stay with me, verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our heart's sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our, here's our word, our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Verse 24 is it. Let us consider how to stir up one another, say it with me, to love... And good works. Now let me give you two things out of this passage. And I really need. I'll move quickly. I promise. Number one. If we were to condense this text into a sentence. That I'd want you to grab hold of. And sort of take with you. um, Where the answer is Jesus. But some of the things that we take hold of. When we talk about Jesus. That you are completely known by God. And welcomed in his presence. Advent proves to us. That you are completely known by God and welcomed in His presence. Like, you know that that you have some secrets, right? There aren't any secrets when it comes to God. You know, you can't hide anything from Him. You're completely known and welcomed in His presence. I can remember being a teenager and, and... Teenagers, hold your ears if you're in here. Especially my kids. Uh, listen, I can remember being kind of a shady teenager. Anybody else kind of a shady teenager? Come on. I'm the only one. You know, you kind of grew up different. Just kind of like, you know, like you you, you tell your parents you were going to do one thing and then you kind of went and did another. There was four people in here that admitted that. You kind of had one plan, but, you know, uh, look, to get things over on... And, and she's watching and she'll probably comment and say something. Please don't. To get things over on my mom when I was younger was kind of easy. She's gonna, my phone's ringing now. It wasn't hard to kind of squeeze. Anybody else? Just, not that, that she was gullible or, or that she didn't, maybe she was giving you the benefit of the doubt or whatever. Maybe they, Maybe they feel powerless, but whatever it is. Or you just got good at it. But you could get things by, right? You could get things. Hey, see you later. I'm going to my friend's house to study. Off to the concert we go, right? I mean, she was just, it was just easy. It was easy to live a life of deceit before I knew Jesus. Anybody, can I get a witness? Saying I was going somewhere and going somewhere else completely different. Saying I was doing one thing and doing something completely different, that was easy. That's not the way it is when you're in the presence of the God that welcomes you. See, He knew about me. He knew about my shady ways and He knew about your shady ways, the four of you that were honest with me this morning. Appreciate that. But you know that thing in your life this morning, you know that thing that you don't want anybody to know about? He knows about it. You know that compulsion that you have that you know you're embarrassed about? You know that compulsion that you have? He knows about it. You know that sin in your background that you feel that incredible shame about? He already sees it. You've got no secrets. He knows. He knew mine. And He knows yours. And yet, we are welcome. In His presence. Why? This is such a huge deal. Why? One, you were created for His presence. That's why you were created, to be with God. And if you see the language in this passage, the language in this passage is that you would be confident of this, that you would have the assurance of this, that you would boldly approach with this knowledge, that God sees you and He knows all of your secrets all of your compulsions, all of everything, and He has made you in a way, and He has made a way that you are welcome in His presence. That's what Advent is about. God made a way that you are welcome in His presence. Praise the Lord. Which matters, it matters, that He welcomes you in His presence. I read one author and he said, Outside of His presence, everything would be tasteless. How poetic! This is what this 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 is why joy is found in the Lord. A couple months ago, as many of you know, um, I, I got the COVID. Right, the COVID. That's what we're calling it. So uh, it has been a few months, and it wasn't. It was okay, and. And, and a lot of us kind of went through that together, and we, we, we got there. But one of the things I lost was my sense of taste and smell. Anybody else? There's a few left. It's not really there yet. It's not back. And that's a bigger deal. If you've never lost that, what's the big deal? You've got out of that COVID thing relatively unscathed. And we did, and I did. A lot of us did. But and, and it seems like a minute little thing, but until it happens to you, one of those deals. It's a bigger deal than you think. And actually, if you can't smell, it can actually be dangerous. Right? This sense of smell. You can't smell fire. You can't you ever go? Something smells hot. Oh, the, the toaster's still on. You know, like that kind of thing. But, I mean, those of you that use the smoke alarm as an oven timer, that's not what I'm talking about. You can hear. But you should be able to smell that before. Look at everybody elbowing and looking. That's not right, y'all. But it's a huge deal when you lose this. You know, any coffee lovers in the house, right? I know there are. Some coffee. Whoa, my goodness. Y'all are caffeined up. That's why you don't fall asleep in church. I love it. Keep it going. But coffee, coffee, I mean, real coffee. I'm not talking, if you like Folgers or Sanka or any any of that old, that's fine. More power to you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about coffee with hair on it like coffee <laughs> right like you you, you you brew the cup and 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 how many have like a, a a brewer in their house or a bean to cup kind of thing where the grinds you know the the beans grind and then it brews it and it's just and that smell right remember the old commercial Whoop! the eyes open because the coffee's dripping but now, to go and pour that cup of coffee in the morning and to sip it and basically have it be hot water? I mean, that's a loss. Right? To just, to, around this time of year, you get, the, you, you get certain tastes and smells that get familiar. You know, and, and, and like Thanksgiving, we just got through Thanksgiving, right? And how many that have lost their taste, taste and smell? I mean, Thanksgiving was just Okay. Some things were very strong and they were like, yeah, but some things were like, like mashed potatoes. Like, what is this? Why am I doing this? If there's any time to grab and and start eating healthier, now's the time. I could eat lots of broccoli now. Right? Now's the time. But there's a loss in that. And and getting back to our passage, get back on the rails and so I can finish up. God God has created a way for us to be in His presence and to be not in the presence of God. One author says that it's tasteless because the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You get into the presence of God and you know you're like, and I know I say this stuff all the time, but you know, you don't, you don't know where I'm from. A lot of you know my testimony, and I don't know where you're, from, where you're from or what you've been struggling with, and I don't know what you're struggling with right now, and some d- deep, deep stuff. that. But to be in His presence, to be able to kneel before God like we did this morning, to be able to sit here and know that the presence of the Holy Spirit is, is alive and well in this room, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And you can only taste and see that the Lord is good by being in His presence. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I don't need to know. There's no secrets before God. And He still invites you in. In fact, if you look in the Scripture... You can compare yourself to plenty of people in the scripture who and you're kind of weak in the sin game, bro. I'm not just saying, but I'm saying, you raped and murdered anybody this week? David did. And I'm not saying anything new today. You know, you're you are welcomed into the presence of God. And according to this, verse 22, he sprinkled your heart's clean from an evil conscience. Let's go back there.
1: How powerful
0: is the King of glory this morning? He just sprinkles your pitiful, sinful heart clean. He doesn't take a power washer to you. He doesn't have to. He sprinkles in your hearts clean. And now the evil conscience that the Scripture says is lifted and then, just in case you still got some nastiness on you, he then washes your body with pure water so that you're clean and welcomed into his presence. Pastor, you don't know. I don't have you. I got to wait till I'm cleaned up. No, you don't clean yourself up. All he has to do is sprinkle your heart, and you are clean from an evil conscience. Not my words, it's in the scripture. So we put our hope in the hope giver. The one that can sprinkle our hearts clean and wash our bodies with pure water. So that when bad things happen and they usually happen because of my own stupidity. Anybody? Can I get a witness? When bad things happen I I take it to Him. I get to. I'm frustrated that life's not comfortable. I can't go to comfort to try and satisfy that. I'd be like trying to taste coffee and only getting in the hot water. No, I've got to go to the one who is able to hear and to do something about it. And he draws me in and he says, you know what? You're welcome in my presence. And if nothing else, sometimes I just need him to be with me. And so this is where we put our hope. And the reason we're going to turn our eyes back to... A, maybe a six pound eight ounce Jesus baby Jesus in the manger is because it that that is the embodied testimony that God is faithful and you are welcome in His presence. First Corinthians one twenty the promises all the promises of God I think I have it for all the promises of God find their yes. In Him, Jesus. All the promises of God. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen, or so be it, to God for His glory. So all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Can your sins be forgiven? Yes. Look to Jesus. Have you been abandoned? Look to Jesus. Does God care about sin? Is He serious about your salvation? Yes. Look to Jesus. All of God's promises find their yes in Him. And so we want to hold fast to that. We want to hold fast. When things are going great, He is with me. When things are going terribly, He is with me. I put my hope in the hope giver. I put my hope in the One who welcomes me into His presence. And that's what Advent brings. Advent is a coming of His presence. This is where we put our hope. A few verses that I'll leave with you and you can look them up. Lamentations 3.24 The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Psalm 71, but I will hope continually and praise you yet more and more. Romans 13, and this is my prayer for you today as we leave. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that... By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close this song and we'll be done. Where do you put your hope? Where are you putting your hope? Put your hope in the one that welcomes you into his presence. Would you stand this morning again? Okay, if I just use this, Sean. One of these would help. This whole thing would help, actually. But as you reflect this morning on not what I've said, but what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you through His Word, and we think about the awesome presence of the hope giver, And the One, capital O, that invites you into His presence. Who is this One we are talking about this morning? This song lets us know who the One is that we're talking about this morning. Join us as we sing.
1: Oh, so awesome wonderful Had the mention of you.
0: God as we stand here in your presence this morning. Father, we realize our own frailty and our own humanness and living in this fallen world is difficult. Lord, the world will throw things at us and make things harder than they ever were. God, the world will say to us, no way, Mm mm-mm. This is the way it has to be. The world will spew all kinds of untruths and Lord, things at us that we think we can't measure up, so why bother trying? The world has all of these lies for us, but Your Word tells me You've overcome the world. We don't have to live in that space. We don't have to live in that place where the world throws everything at us and makes it look hopeless and helpless. God, we lean on the One who is the hope giver. Only You, Jesus, can give us the hope that our souls are longing for. There's that God-shaped void in our hearts and in our souls that can only be filled by You, Jesus. God, I pray that each one of us in this room, myself included, would put our entire hope in you this morning. They can't keep us down, they can't beat us down, because we have an eternal hope that lives inside of us. This world is temporary, we are not of this world. We are just passing through. This is not our permanent residence. The hope that lies within us begins here at Advent. The God that came in human form and provided a way for us as the frail, sinless, broken human beings living in a fallen world can stand before a holy God because, God, You don't see us with our own righteousness in Christ. You see us with His righteousness which blows my mind. And So, God, as we pray and as we seek You this morning and as we close, with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, My challenge for you, church, is this. Are you putting all your hope in Jesus this morning? Or are you hanging on to something else? Say, Pastor, I need to put my hope. I'm not putting all my hope in Him. I put my hope in comfort. I put my hope in the approval of others, and I'll never measure up. I want to pray for you this morning. If you'd be honest before God and before me, and with yourself, you say, Pastor, I'd like you to pray for me. I need to put my entire hope in Jesus. I will pray for you. If you say, that's me, hands already up. If you say, that's me, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to put my entire hope in Jesus this morning. Thank you. I need to put it in Him. I'm hoping in too much other stuff. And maybe yours wasn't one of the four things that we put on the screen. But maybe your hope is in something else. Maybe your hope is in your own strength or in yourself. Say, Pastor, I need to give Jesus. I need to have my hope in Jesus, the only true hope that really matters, the only true hope that can really deliver. Say, Pastor, that's me this morning. Would you pray for me? Father, you know those who have had the courage to admit that they need to put their full trust and hope in you this morning. God, I know that you're already at work in these individuals' lives. And Lord, we lift them before your throne this morning. Take in this moment, God, to pray for those that have put their hope in you. Not in themselves, not in these other things of this world, but God, their hope in the true hope giver, the one that sent your son as a baby on Advent, <laughs> the coming that we all anticipated, your people anticipated, God. God, you came. Lord you lived your life here on this earth you died a cruel cruel death on a cross for our sins and you rose again on the third day not that you had to but proving that you are who you said you are so God when you make promises to me in your word my answer is yes and amen yes and amen so God, I thank You for those, Lord, that have been transparent enough to say, you know what? I put my hope in Him. Not in anything else this Advent season, this Christmas season. God, we as a family put our hope in You, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to go from this place and shine Your light so that people would know we've been in the presence of Almighty God. And this world might know us by our love for one another as Your Word says. Help us, Lord, to seek kindness and love and and say things, Lord, that edify and build people up and not tear them down. Lord, we put our hope in You and we trust You. And we thank You for Your promises and Your faithfulness to us. And as we leave this place this morning, might we not leave Your presence, Lord. We are... In awe of you, God. We thank you, Lord, that a holy God would accept a sinner such as I. We thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen and amen. Go in peace.